Yo, what's up? This is Toru, and in a way, so are you. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a music producer, artist, and entrepreneur. I make music for that space between the dance floor and the bedroom, which has been streamed millions of times and been licensed by brands big and small, including companies like Apple. I believe that regardless of what you produce, whether it be music, art, physical goods, or even spreadsheets, you have a process, whether you know it or not. To explore this further, I created the Producer Head podcast. Producer Head is a place to have conversations with other producers about their experience and process to share what works and what doesn't, to help each of us learn and improve our own processes along the way. Today's guest is Brooklyn-based Cryptic One, a rapper, producer, drum programmer, slash finger drummer extraordinaire, and honestly, just a legend in his own right. If you had told a younger me that I'd be talking to this man in this context, there's just no way I would have believed you. He's a member of the Adams Family, he's released music through Def Jux, has credits with artists that include Aesop Rock, Cannibal Ox, and others that I'm definitely missing. And if that weren't enough, Cryptic One just received a billboard plaque for the Lloyd Banks track, Dead Roses, which he produced. If you already listened to part one, then you already know, you're in for a treat, strap in for more. If you haven't already heard part one of this interview, I highly recommend you check it out. We talked about imposter syndrome, finding your own voice as an artist, the role of consistency on the path to quality, as well as his recent billboard plaque for his production on the Lloyd Banks track, Dead Roses. This conversation, part two of episode three with Cryptic One, will close out some of the ideas we started in part one, as well as get into the impact of social media on finding your artistic identity, turning small projects into larger projects, and how to use self-doubt positively. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you and close it out. So without further ado, here's part two of episode three with Cryptic One. Let's go. Aside from like kind of just developing competency, is there anything that you recommend or that you've done yourself that you think has helped you kind of find yourself? And maybe once you have found even pieces or glimpses of that to feel maybe more comfortable in that space too. Um, there's, there's one specific thing that I do, but it's only when I'm working on a project, it's not just like an everyday practice. Mm. Um, when I'm working on a project, I don't listen to anything. Mm. I don't listen to anything unless it's very intentional. Like I want the vibe of this. So I'll listen to this and it'll, you know, by no like specific attempt on my own it just naturally goes into the stuff that i wind up making it's not like oh i'm gonna make this but i'll just in my you know when i'm walking my dog or where out in the park i'll have something in my head and that naturally seeps into my music but for the most part especially with rap when i'm working on a rap project i don't listen to anything people will send me links look have you heard this nope hmm. i'll hear it when i'm done with this project but now I don't, I don't listen to shit unless I'm listening to stuff for samples, but it, that that's one thing that I do. And it can be a little crazy because sometimes I'm working on a project for quite some time, you know, and like, yeah, but I find that like for me, and, and I realize this isn't for everyone and it's not just about an influence thing. Sometimes it, it's, well, I guess it is about influence in that, that sense. Like sometimes I'll listen to something and I'll be like, oh shit, that's dope. I wish I was doing stuff more like that. Like, even if it's not a conscious thought, it's something that kind of seeps in, like, especially if I really like something and I don't want that pull. I mm-hmm. want it to come, come from me. And like, 
then when I play it for people, they can't like, oh, that sounds like this or sounds like that. It, it may, they may get that, that feel from it, but I know where it came from. It came from me and only me. That's interesting, man. I mean, it kind of sounds like, you know, you put yourself in a little bit of like, like a vacuum where there's just a cutoff of like kind of intake and inspiration. And that maybe there's this, this like desire to like kind of put stuff like the next thing I'm going to do is going to be a capsule of like this time and experience that I have in me, you know, and that you just kind of create a deadline for intake. Right. That's That's pretty much it. And, And that's something that I just kind of learned kind of naturally, like, not so much with the beats, but uh, with with my rap stuff, is that I always rap about what's important to me. What and what's important to me over my life has changed. Like my first record, "Sun of the Web," what was important to me, hanging out with my friends, watching sci-fi movies, and talking about comic books and shit like that. So you listen to that. That's what that shit is. And then. I got into a really dark kind of place and dealing with some sort of depression and like loss and stuff like that. And that's what my solo album was kind of about. And then 9-11 happened and then my next album was about politics and shit like that. So it's like, I don't know any other way to be, especially mm-hmm. with rap, is to rap where I am at this given moment, which is probably frustrating for fans of my work to some degree because I mean, I get the emails all the time. Like, when are you going to rap like you did 20 something years ago? Honestly, never. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not that person. Like I can't, I I don't even know what that guy thinks about. Like we're, we're not, I don't give a shit about a science fiction movie right now. So like, how am I going to rap about that shit? Um, So I think that kind of just happened naturally and it kind of just became the way I did things. Even with beats, I I just try and make whatever I'm feeling at the moment. And I don't think the beats that I'm making today sound like the beats I made two years ago. They all have time. It's all me, you know, but you know, the drums will be there or what have you. But over that time, I like to think that I've learned some things and had different influences here and there and just let it happen and pick up the pieces after. Yeah, man. How do you think social media impacts sort of self-discovery and development of artistic identity? It is wonderful and terrible, all wrapped up into one nice little Instagram bow. It definitely causes a lot of comparison self-comparison comparing myself to everything that i'm seeing because the numbers are right there it's it's i'm a math person like when i see numbers like this person posted this he's got why did this get ten thousand likes Mm. why like what is that why didn't my thing get ten thousand likes why does he have x amount of followers and i have x amount of followers you can't help I don't care who you are. You can't help but make that comparison. And there are a lot of ways you can go with that comparison. You can go like, oh, well, he worked hard. He developed a brand. He done some stuff with advertising. His music is better than mine. His video is better than mine. You can go there. You can beat yourself up about the comparisons. 
Or you can say maybe he's just been doing it longer and maybe he got lucky. Mm. Most of the right thing in the right place. Or, you know, maybe I need to work on my stuff. Or maybe it's going to take time. Or maybe I'll never get there. Maybe it, there's so many ways to like... I don't think we had that in when I started out. That that ability to compare every little minute thing and and worry that you're not doing the right thing. I think we were just kind of like, we compared the art and that was kind of it. I mm. mean, in some levels, like, oh, he's got a record deal. Why is he getting booked for shows and I'm not? Like, it, so there's always some of that, but I think social media just kind of accelerates it and makes it so easy to beat yourself up. Like even like... You know, just to show you how real this is and how imposter syndrome still is very much part of me. I posted something about, um, I got the test pressing for a record. I just posted a quick reel and it, the posted kind of shitty, like in comparison to other stuff that I posted. And instead of just being like, all right, whatever, you know, I'll post another thing and that'll do good. I started analyzing it because that's how my mind works. I'm like, why didn't this post do do as well as previous post. Well, I'm not in it. Should I have talked? Should I have said something? Should I have done something different with the camera? Should I pick the different song? Like all these thoughts fucking go in my mind. And it's only because I posted on Instagram, which means nothing. Mm. A week from now, hey shit, not even a week. I posted it maybe two days ago. No, everyone's moved on with their lives. Except for me. I'm analyzing this thing. <laughs> and I'm still thinking about it, clearly. Like mm-hmm. and people who fucking front like they don't give a shit, like everyone cares or if you didn't really give a shit you'd be off of instagram and not posting anything at all so i don't know i i guess that's that's where i stand about social media i hate it but i'm a part of it and i love it so yeah i mean i think there's no question that it's just a little bit more challenging like when you can the awareness that we all have of like people all over the world whatever we're into we can find people all over the world doing something similar and then I think that that awareness is something that I don't know, maybe we're not, we're not built to handle necessarily. Yeah, I don't think so. But I'm curious about, you know, like, how do you, how do you organize? Cause it's like, you maintain like a, like a quality and active social presence while also being productive musically when you want to be. And so, and you've done so, you know, for years and years. So I'm wondering, you know, how you've learned to, maybe there's some things you can share in terms of how you've learned to like organize, or there's a mindset, or there's like a tactical thing to get to a place where you're like, all right, this is something that I got to do because I want people to know about what I'm doing. But I also don't want to be somebody who is making things only for social media necessarily. Uh, It's a little bit of both. I I do make some things specifically for social media and I, I don't, it's interesting you say that because I don't feel like I do have a grasp on it or a, a, a solid strategy. I go through phases where I'm like, I have a strategy and it's usually based off the same thing we talked about before, the accountability kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, And I turn that into something that's branded and kind of like, push, for, for instance, the last thing I did, or one of the last things I did was, uh, I call it Saturday Sketches. I hadn't been making beats. I'm like, all right, every day I'm just going to, I'm going to call it a sketch. So that, that kind of is already kind of being on the defense. Like, Hey guys, like the shit is not a finished beat. I'm just like, 
throwing the sketch out there, you know? So, and I actually got the idea from, from an artist friend of mine. Uh, she's kind of a, a, she's a successful muralist, but she did this thing where she was doing a hundred sketches and selling them for, I think it was like $10 a pop or something. She'd sketch something out and, and send it out to the world. People would buy them. So I'm like, all right, well, I could do this. I'm not going to sell them, but you know. So every Saturday I woke up, turned on a beat machines and made a beat, uploaded it, did a cool video. And I was like, oh, okay. If I do this every Saturday, I can brand it a certain way. And then people start looking for it. And it became like a regular thing. And then through that, the Friday singles thing happened where I was like, all right, let me flesh songs out. Beats that I had already done for the most part. Some I made on on the spot, but I would take an older song or an older beat that I never released that I liked parts of it. Like we talk about not throwing things out. And I'm like, I don't like the drums on this. I love everything else. Let me redo the drums and add other elements, add changes, et cetera, and release it every Friday. And I branded that and... Mm, Another happy accident of that, I end up with 39 instrumentals and now it's an album, you know? So like, it may seem from the outside like I had some master plan, but it really was just a kind of me not wanting to smoke anymore and telling all my friends. So like, hey, I want to make a single every Friday. I'm, hey, everyone, I'm making a single every Friday. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, I figure like, okay, I have all this music. What can I do with it? Um, yeah, man. yeah go, go ahead no sorry yeah i was just gonna say man i love it. i mean i think it really there's like that continuity in all this right like one it's like it's easy to look back and connect all the dots in a sense because you can see it all now and now you can make this album but i think it's kind of connected to what you were saying earlier that i think maybe you picked up in one of these books that you mentioned which is you know these beats that you were making every saturday sort of represent like all right here's one of those things i'm going to do each day to move towards something that's a higher level goal for me, right? And that allowed you to have the materials to release an album. And I think strategically and and maybe like emotionally and mentally, it's a really cool strategy because saying like, I'm going to make an album of 39 tracks is a big thing to say, but to say that today I'm going to make a beat and then wake up the next day and say, today I'm going to make a beat. And then 39 days later, you wake up with 39 beats, you know? And so you're in a different place then. So I think that's, that's, it's really cool, man. I feel like you can really see like in a lot of ways, man, I mean, you're practicing what you preach, you know, and experiencing success as a result. And so again, I mean, well-deserved, you know? Thank you. man. I appreciate it. it it's, it's kind of interesting because again, I, it, I, I, I like delving into this stuff, but I also, I'm very careful to let people know that that's not it. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, not everything is, it works out like that. There are other albums that I have that I will tinker with for years and wanted to get out four years ago and still on my hard drive kind of being worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of this weird space of like a project like that, like New Beginnings, where I did it every Friday or whatever. I learned to get out of my own way. And then there's another project where I'm like, Mr. Perfectionism is back full force and like, no, no, no. There's a breath you took in the second verse of that song. You have to re-record the whole shit. Like, ah, uh-huh. uh, shit, you got a new plug-in. Your vo- vocals sound different on this. Sounds so much better on this new shit you recorded. Let's scrap the whole album, re-record all the vocals. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's, 
very much that is a mm-hmm. huge part of my life still in a lot of different ways. But I also try to make room for things where I can just legitimately get the fuck out of the way and like just move forward. So I, I, I guess it's kind of just me telling everyone that like, be realistic. Like you're not just going to be like this machine that like pumps out shit that you love and that happens to work out all the time. Although, uh, uh, maybe not. Like I was about to say, although I know people like that, but really do I have like an insight to their inner workings? I don't know what else is on their hard drive or what else they promise themselves they do. But I'd su- I would suggest, or, or I'd like to think, because I know a lot of people who are fairly successful, way more successful than I am. And I know they have the same kind of self-doubt and worry and perfectionism and imposter syndromes. Like I know people who Grammy nominations who have imposter syndrome and I look at them like they're crazy mm-hmm. and then also relate to them. But I'm like, what the fuck you still have to deal with this shit? And then people are looking at me like I have a plaque and I'm still dealing with this shit. And they're like, what do you mean you have a plaque? And I'm like, it, it, not to tie it all back to imposter syndrome. Maybe that should be the title of this episode, but it, it's kind of, don't think it ever goes away. And I think it's kind of a necessary evil that we all have to deal with on some, in some way, shape or form. Yeah, man. I, it makes me think of an idea that I heard that I think is, it wasn't really brought up necessarily around imposter syndrome specifically, but I think it's connected. And it's sort of this idea that, you know, you have at least two voices, everybody, I think. Right. Yeah. And, and if you kind of imagine yourself as a vehicle, you know, like you're a bus and all of those voices are riding on the bus, mm-hmm. you know, but you kind of get to decide who's driving, you know, and at, cer- at certain times it's nice to have a different person or a different voice kind of in that driver's seat. And so I don't know if the goal or if it's even possible really to eradicate that voice from your mind. You know, I think it's there with you forever. So I think it's sort of learning to find its appropriate seat, you know, on the bus at the time that you're passing through whatever neighborhood, you know what I mean? Artists are weird. We're just strange. (laughs) Like, I don't know any artist who isn't self-conscious, concerned, worried, perfectionist, imposter syndrome, all those things are in every artist I know. Mm -hmm. But every artist I all know also has a huge ego, is very driven, sure of themselves, confident. They make something they like and they're like, this is the fucking shit. And then when it, the same piece of music that you, I'm like nodding my head to, I'm like, this is the one that's going to change my life in mm-hmm. a studio by myself. The second I play it for someone else, it's when a little bit of doubt creeps in. Like, why didn't they react the same way I reacted? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and then when you release it on a grander scale and like, ah, no one even talking about that song, the one that, that's the one. No one realizes that's the one. So I, it, it's this weird, and maybe, maybe it's not just artists, maybe just everyone has that where the, 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 multiple voices in your head somehow in the same head you have someone telling you like you're garbage that's trash other side you're the best you're invincible 
all about the same person, the same art. It, it's 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 a very weird, or maybe it's very normal, but it's interesting to say the least that. Mm-hmm. Like I said, see, I've I've been around a lot of artists, specifically rappers, and rappers are, are known to have a bit of an ego. But it's always the best ones who are kind of not sure of themselves at some moments. Because I know people who are rappers who are always sure of themselves, and they never really turn out to be the ones, you know, mm-hmm. that that do well or. Well, that that's kind of subjective, but they make music that I fuck with on a, mm. a large scale. It's usually the people who have self doubt, who are willing to like to to hear out other opinions, who are willing to try different things and not just be like, "I did this, it's mine, I'm great." Mm-hmm. Um, you can do that, but there also has to be the flip side, like yin and yang, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, it sort of sounds like, you know, that we're, there's real value in having, you know, those doubt or those voices that are maybe somewhat like contrarian in your head or from other people in your life that you can trust, you know, because that helps you see other angles of things. Right. Like everything else in life, it's all about balance. You, you have to have both, I think, because if you start beating yourself up more than you're bigging yourself up. That's a very dangerous place to go. And I've been there. Um, Musically start to completely doubt everything you're doing and like, oh, what am I doing? Why am I wasting my time? I'm not good enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. Look at them, you know, log into social media. Like, ah, why do they have a million followers? I don't really even like their music. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can quickly spiral. And I think Back to social media. I think social media can help you spiral a little bit quicker. It can push you off the ledge more than anything in human history has been capable of doing. But yeah, man, I don't know. Stay sane and stay balanced. It's I guess that's the advice. It's way easier said than done. Yeah. And maybe this is connected to that, you know, and I, I want to kind of talk about, we talked about this before, right? But it's like, there's this paradox that we experience, right? Because it's like, we know that we have imposter syndrome and all these other challenges and conflicts that come along with making music and releasing music. And then we read books and we learn ways to manage those. We learn strategies to help us. But it's like, sometimes I know all of this and I I still feel like I'm blocked and I can't get to a place where whatever it is, whether it's releasing music or even making music consistently, and so how do you deal with like sort of this balance? It's like, I have all this information to solve these problems, but I'm not solving this problem. Right. I, I, mean, I mean, I think the the end part of that is we're trying to solve a problem that's not solvable. Mm. Like you can solve something temporarily, but it's, it's, I guess it's just human nature. Like, cause we're, maybe if we were staying in the same place and no other outside forces existed. We could control everything, but we can't control everything. I can't control the next thing I'm going to make or the next thing I'm going to see on Instagram. It's going to change my thought process of what I made yesterday. And so the new problems are always popping up or old problems with new faces. So you, I think for me, I just 
the reason why I can read the same book a million times that helps with the same problem that I had 10 years ago is the same problem I have now is because I just need the reminder. Like I get so lost in everything else that I don't even recognize it until like I think about it or until I read a book and I'm, I relate to someone else going through something like, oh, shit, that's what I'm going through. How did I not see that? Um, so, yeah, I don't know if it's a problem that can be solved. I think it's just it's human existence, fortunate mm-hmm. or unfortunately. Oddly, that's an inside joke. That, that is a quote from Donald Trump who said something recently. He said, fortunately or unfortunately, which is kind of like the stupidest thing you can ever say, I think. It's like, yeah, obviously it's either, it's one of, of the two. Sorry. <laughs> Little, no, it's fine. I'm sure Trump is listening. So Yeah. Oh, yeah. Peace he'll out en- to you. He'll, he'll enjoy that. Uh, <laughs> um, man, all right. So, I mean, I, I do want to hit you with these like kind of quick one-hit questions before we jump into those. Are there any upcoming projects or anything you want to kind of mention that's coming up we can be looking for? Yeah, see now, well, this one's definitely coming because I just got the test pressings for one vinyl uh, a couple days ago. Uh, So New Beginnings, which is 37 instrumentals total, CD, cassette, and a two-part vinyl. um, Half the instrumentals on one vinyl, half on the other. That's coming, we'll say soon. (laughs) Summer of 2023. I don't know. I don't have a date yet, but... Basically, once I get the vinyl and then I kind of get all the other business shit in line, the marketing shit, then I'll, I'll pre- press the button and it'll be out in the world. Other than that, I have a rap album that I kind of want to say is coming out, but who knows? It's called The World According To. It's the third of a trilogy. And um, yeah, it's it's supposed to come out this year was supposed to come out last year. It was also supposed to come out the year before that. So to tie that back into everything that we've been talking about it, who the fuck knows? But it's coming. <laughs> That's what's up, man. Maybe this is kind of your accountability text message in mass, you know, saying here on this yeah. interview. Hopefully. Yeah, make sure you save me uh, some of that vinyl. You know, I'm going to need at least one of those. Gotcha. All right, man. And then these next ones, man, are just kind of quick. So feel free to be as as short or as long as you want to be with them. Which doll do you use? I am an Ableton guy. Um, I do, however, use Logic from time to time. Um, Mainly because that's what I used and where all my old sessions are. So when I'm going to an old session and kind of like repurposing it for something new, I'll work in Logic and then eventually stem it out into Ableton and do stuff in Ableton. I also do use Luna, um, but um, I don't know it that well yet, so I, I don't feel comfortable. It's kind of just in the learning phases. I haven't released anything that I've done in Luna yet. Yeah, uh, I started. I started mixing in Luna in the last year, and like I've almost everything that I've put out in the last like whatever has been mixed in Luna. Okay. And it's been a while since I've used Logic, but I feel like it's pretty similar. In the way that I mean, I mean, it obviously looks kind of different, but I really feel like a lot of the the flow and the way plugins even sit on the channels and stuff is very similar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The, the thing is, like, I use Logic for so many years, and then 
like you know, you use Ableton. Ableton sure. is so different. It's kind yeah. of like I reprogram my brain, and then I like the reprogramming. So now I feel like I'm going back to like a logic kind of thing. But I, I do think the thing that's important for me is like I create. I want to create in Ableton and mix elsewhere. I feel like that'll help me make the processes to separate the processes and stop the endless going back and forth because I'll create and then I'll start mixing in Ableton and be like, oh, you know what? I can rearrange this a little better here. And then next thing I know, I'm arranging and adding instruments and I'm producing again. And then I have to jump back into mixing it. It winds up going back and forth way longer than it should. So I, I think my goal is to complete creating in Ableton, dump it to Luna, and then figuratively throw out the Ableton session. Uh, I save everything, yeah. but just forget yeah. it. It exists. No, I hear you. I've been trying to adopt something like that. Yeah. Cause I mean, I'm just, I really, Ableton is kind of strange, but once you get used to it, I feel like it's, it's a really, it's a really efficient way to work. I think Absolutely. it's just so easy to access things that you need, um, especially automation, man. I really think that automation Ableton is like the best. Yeah. No, it, it, it it's to me. I'll I'll take the uh, the flame wars from all the other DAW. <laughs> uh, Ableton is the one. Like it's just the one. It, maybe it doesn't sound as good or doesn't have this or that, but like the way that it is built, I feel is more adaptable to whatever way you want your workflow to go. Because I know a million people that use Ableton, and none of them use it the same way. Yeah, big facts, man. Big facts. What's your go-to plugin? I have a bunch, but we'll narrow it down to my top hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. I've been really addicted. That joke going to uh, addictive keys. Um, uh, okay. uh, it's my go-to road sound for whatever reason, and I feel like there are better ones that I have, but I don't know. Just something about it. Like I just throw it on, and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that's the sound I was looking for. Uh, two bass plugins that I could not survive with is uh, Rickenbacker bass mm. and Trillion. That's that's pretty much it. That's all I need for the rest of my life with bass sounds. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a million other like little effects plugins that that what's it the Oxford uh, Oxford limiter, um, Valhalla reverb and Valhalla delay. Yeah, you, you should probably stop me before I just start rambling <laughs> off everything. Man, I just want to say that like I've been I've been trying to use Trillion more lately. I just find it to be, I think maybe I just still haven't found my go-tos in there. It's just such a big library, you know? Overwhelming as fun. Yeah. Like so I think finding the sounds that are like gonna work, like you could you could spend, you know, just sessions and sessions trying to like organize, like, okay, here's some patches that are good places to start. Yeah. Unfortunately, I do not do that. I'm just kind of literally spend an hour, like if I'm making a beat, it, yeah. spend an hour going through bass sounds and I'm like, that's not the right one. I don't feel as bad now. Thank you for that. Yeah. No, no. That's kind of the, the downfall of the, yeah, I need to sit down with, I used to use it a long time ago on Logic and I had all, it was cracked. So like I had all my favorites and everything like 
perfect. And then when I moved to Ableton and started not using cracked stuff, I bought it and like shit, all my favorites are gone. So I'm still trying to. Yeah, I feel the pain out. there. Just that. Yeah, man, you just like when you've been making music for a while, like having projects just work consistently when you open them up, however long after some time passes, it's just, yeah, that can be heartbreaking. Yeah. Do you have a favorite piece of physical gear? I mean, it's the push. I want to say something cool like my Akai S950 or my ASR10, which I love dearly, but yeah. um, they don't nearly get used as much as the push. Like, give me the push and, and my computer and I'm happy. That's really legitimately all I need uh, to make pretty much everything. My Akai S950 is kind of special to me because it's the first sampler I ever, ever owned. My first real piece of equipment, I would say. Um, and it's what I made my first two records on. Wow. And yeah, I got it in 91 or no 90 or 89, something like that. And wow. it's still fucking working and still sounds gritty. And yeah, it's, it's unmatched. And for those of that out there that I'm not throwing shade, but there are a couple of plugins that, uh, mimic the sound of an S950. They're good and they sound good and they do cool things to sound, but they don't sound anything like an actual S950. Gotcha. I've I've A-B'd and then, yeah, very different. Nothing like the real thing, man. There isn't. Three producers you think everybody could benefit from listening to, and I don't know if you really need this qualifier, but I usually put this in there just in case you can't use Mad Lib or Dilla. That's fair. I'm old, so I've been releasing music as long <laughs> as those guys. So, so like, that's so tough, man. Like, I'll just, it's a billion. I'm not going to go too deep, but like, all right, let's start with, with something that's not hip hop, huge influence on me. And if I say this out loud and people listen to his music and listen to my music, I, I hope that people see the influence there. Uh, it's David Axelrod, uh, jazz legend, passed away not, not long ago. Yeah, just the way he he layers his sounds, the cinematic textures, the strings, the drums, the bass lines. Like I've stolen a lot from him. No lie. I'm sure you hear my dog going nuts back there. Yeah, a little bit. He's all right though. It's a dog friendly conversation and podcast here. We love okay. dogs. Uh, I I love dogs as well, but um, she's not feeling that answer. I think she wants me to talk about hip hop producers. <laughs> so hip hop. I'll go with um, someone who I know, but he is, you want to talk about someone who's unapologetically himself, who no one sounds like him, and who has a long, successful career, um, LP, mm-hmm. now of Run the Jewels, I guess. I always say LP of Company Flow because I'm old, and that's what I know him from. But um, right. yeah, I just think he does things that no one else oh, does and i find that his music is very polarizing i feel like there are a lot of people that can't fuck with it and but the people who fuck with it really fuck with it and i think that's kind of uh, just kind of a direct result of someone being unapologetically themselves which i i respect that a lot and another one would be um alchemist i don't feel like he does 
I feel like he's like the perfect example of someone who doesn't do too much, who who knows how to pull back and not overproduce. You know, sometimes like in hip hop, when especially when you're dealing with an MC, sometimes a two bar loop and some drums is all you need for it to be dope. And I think producers often, um, myself included, myself especially, feel like there has to be a level of, of difficulty to what we do to make it have value. And yeah, I just don't think that's the case. I, I, I think to some of my favorite beats of all time, and then I find the record they're sampled from, I'm like, oh, they literally just looped it and put drums on it. And it's my favorite thing ever. And the value of it hasn't decreased. You know, it's producing, it's not diving, right? Diving, you have to you get scored based on the difficulty of your dive. Um, yeah, just just make dope music. And Alchemist, he consistently does that. He just finds samples that no one else finds and puts drums to them and head nod factors. Yeah, I mean, did you see that uh, the idea generation interview with him? I did not. I did yeah, not. Yeah, pretty. I highly recommend anybody listening who hasn't already seen that. It's it's a series that's on YouTube. I think it's that. I forget that guy's name. The guy from uh, I think he was from Complex. He's been doing. I've, I've seen clips of it. I, I think they're running yeah. ads for it on Instagram. I keep I keep seeing it. Make me need to check it out, but I haven't had a chance to yet. Yeah, I've really enjoyed. There's been a lot of cool interviews on there. But his, yeah, if you're a fan of the album, you definitely got to check his out. All right, I will definitely go check it out. Do you have a uh, three albums? that pop out to you uh yeah this is also another impossible thing i can give you about 400 lists of three but i'll do my best i'll pick some albums that well the first album at least is is something that changed the way i produce changed the way i made music changed the way i looked at, at hip-hop and that was uh low-end theory by tropical quest mm-hmm. uh, i was already making beats for about a year and that came out and I was like, I was pretty confident about my beats as young people are pretty confident and cocky about their shit. And then that came out and I was like, nope, I'm doing everything wrong. My drums don't hit hard enough. My bass lines aren't unique enough. These guys are okay. I don't know what the fuck they're doing, but I'm going to try and figure out that. And that became like a real like moment for me. There are a few moments in, in hip hop that I can distinctly remember. There was a cryptic one before that and a cryptic one after, and they're very different. And that was like a tipping point for me. Low end theory is a huge one for me. Another one that was uh, before that, related to that, um, because also the Native Tongues album was um, Three Feet High and Rising mm-hmm. uh, by De La Soul produced by prince paul um yeah the second i popped that cassette in my 1971 oldsmobile cutlass calais um i was at tower records i'll try to keep this brief but i was at tower records i bought the tape i put it in i already knew their singles love their stuff you know anyone who knows the album's got the whole it's the birth of skits so like never heard skits before and there's like the game show intro and i'm I have a 15 minute ride home and the album is something crazy, like 90 minutes long. And I started driving home and 
I saw my house and I was like, nope, I can't pause this tape for a second to like park my car, go inside the house and put the tape in. I'm just going to keep driving because I'm not going to stop playing this. And I drove for an hour and a half until I listened to it um, from beginning to end. And I was blown away. It changed how I looked at hip hop. I wasn't producing yet. I was DJing and kind of had it in my mind that I wanted to produce and was collecting samples. And for anyone that knows the, the, that album, like they were one of the first artists to sample outside of the normal, the quote unquote, normal places that people were pulling samples from, which was mostly funk, um, a lot of James Brown. And, and there is some of that on there, like uh, Parliament, Funkadelic and some soul stuff, but they were just sampling everything and they didn't give a fuck. And that kind of gave me uh, more permission to like be weird about it and, and combine that with the fact that they were from Long Island where I grew up and they were weird kids and I was a weird kid or, you know, weird is pretty normal, but in, in the hip hop context, we weren't trying to be hard or we were just weird kids rapping about weird shit. And that just kind of gave me confidence that I was like on, on a, right path and just being unique and being myself and not really trying to be anyone else. That was, I guess, tie it back to early part of our talk. I guess that was probably the first time that that happened for me in hip hop, Mm. that album to see someone who's like unapologetically themselves when everyone else was doing something different. And yeah, that, that album had a big impact on me. And last, I have a couple ways I could go with this, but I'll go with uh, to get out of New York for a second. We'll go to um, the West Coast and talk about Souls or Mischief, uh, 93 Till Infinity. That album's another one where it's kind of like the cats that I was rapping with, we were kind of on a path. I mean, we were more New York, but like, as far as rapping goes, like their, their use of syllables and rhyming multiple syllables in different places of the bar was kind of something that we were doing and seeing them do it on such a scale into the rap group I was in had four MCs. They have four MCs. All of us sounded different than each other. All of them sound different than each other, but sort of something ties them together. And I related to that in a lot of ways. And it was kind of also another moment in time where I was like, okay, we're on to something. Like and it just happened naturally. And we didn't have any like thing to look at in the quote unquote industry that resembled that, that had four MCs in a group. It was just kind of like, okay, cool. We stumbled across this and they did it and it works. And yeah, it was just kind of refreshing. What's up, man? Someone else you think I should talk to on this particular podcast. Again, long list of names pops up, but uh, I'm going to go with someone who we both know. Um, Stolen Drums. Like, I feel like that's a dude that's, um, I don't know, he's got this like, this ability for everything that he touch, touches to, to kind of blow up, um, turn to gold, so to speak. He's got that Midas touch. Um, yeah, shout the stolen drums. Yeah. That's how we and, met, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, that's how I've met a lot of people uh, through sidechain society. He, you know, 
obviously you should talk to him. So you'll get more in depth with him about him. But the one thing that I really took from him that was kind of like, it blew my mind and kind of um, made me change. Honestly, uh, the way I looked at some things was, it was just how open he was about, about producing and how he made music and, I was always, you know, I'm old school. I was always from the old school of like literally when we were DJing back in, in, in the eighties and you had a record that you didn't want anyone to know blacked out the label so that when you're DJing a party and people come over trying to look at your records, they couldn't know. Mm -hmm. And we never told the sources of samples, you know, there's reason the term sample snitching exists. We never told the source of samples. I never shared tips or drum techniques because you know, like if I give that secret sauce away, then like, why does anyone need me? And that was my mentality literally up until like I saw drums and like, I'm like, this dude is on a live stream, literally showing you how the sausage is made. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching and I'm like, holy shit. And, and being a part of sidechain, you also kind of see it in, in, in that community is that everyone shares everything and, and it doesn't make us sound like each other or it doesn't change anyone's style. Like I can still hear the difference between the, all the producers in there. So that was, that was very instrumental in making me want to share uh, more about my process, which I still haven't done to the extent that I would like to, but that's definitely a direction that I'm going. So shout out to drums for that. Yeah. Big shout out. Yeah, man. Look forward to seeing what you do with that. Cause I think you have, you definitely have a lot to, to teach us all. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Favorite movie. Uh, that one's easy. Um, that's Pulp Fiction, Quentin Tarantino. There's some problematic things in that movie, obviously, <laughs> but uh, it's just, it's a masterpiece. It, it, it's, I don't even know how to say that. It kind of reminds me, it's, maybe this sounds a little narcissistic. Narcissistic. It's, it reminds me of the way that me and my crew Adams family rap. Mm. In that, like, if we're going to tell a story, it's not going to be straightforward. You know, like we're going to start at the end and have you thinking like for the first four to eight bars of the song, like what the fuck is he talking about? And then by the end, you're like, oh shit, let me rewind and, and see how this all connects. And like, I don't know that there's no movies really did that. Like novels do it all the time, but he somehow made that work on screen in that movie in particular and in other movies that he's done. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a film nerd, so I could talk about this shit all fucking day, but not to get too deep into it. But like, he has this um, knack for creating dialogue that has nothing really to do with the plot, but lets you know exactly who these characters are. Um, obviously, well said. Like, yeah, the the scene with uh, John Travolta and Samuel Jackson, like just them talking about you know, like Royale with cheese or foot massage and all that shit. Meanwhile, they're hitmen going on like other movies you know they give all the yeah. hits they're doing before they do the thing this is just kind of like what who are these guys like just kind of leaves you but like oh shit you're just lost in their conversation it's funny and it's interesting and then like they're going to like collect money <laughs> and and wind up killing some people so i don't know i really i, I always dug that about the film and yeah man, know, that that's i mean that's one of my favorites too man i love that one Classic. Yeah. Yeah, it, absolutely it classic. feels cliche to say, but it's just a fucking it's it's a great piece of art. 
Yeah, if it's good, it's good, man. Facts. If you were to do one thing that would break the internet, what would it be? I don't really want to break the internet. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh I don't know. There's there's something in mind that I've been off and on working on doing for years, and I haven't gotten there. I've gotten to a place where it's okay, but I can't get it to a place where I want to show or kind of don't even want to talk about it because I think like saying it out into the universe, maybe someone else will get to it and do it first. Someone might have already done it, but I'm going to say it because fuck it. You only live once. As you know, I finger drum um, some time to time. I uh, haven't been doing it lately, but it, I think I do it in a way that's kind of different than most people. But I would love to be able to finger drum and rap at the same time. Mm. both on on a high level like if i could somehow figure out to to do crazy drum fills and little drum roll type of things that i'm known for doing and rap on beat and be able to pull that off on instagram like that might be something that 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 could uh get some legs probably ain't gonna break the internet unless i do it like with a naked girl sitting on my push or something, but uh, you know, maybe we'll put a crack in the internet for a day. Man, I let's let's see that, man. Again, let's hope that this is kind of your text message to a hundred friends. We'd love to see you pull that off. It makes me it it brought up this image for me. Is like I saw um I don't know if you're a J Live fan or not, but I saw J Live years ago. Gotcha. Yeah. And man, and his like live scratching and DJing while he spits is like, is I was so, so blown away by that. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, it's you like doing your unique version of that, you know, to, please. Exactly that. There's another cat. I don't know if you know, uh, Eden. No, Eden, I didn't. He does similar things at a more complex level than not to take anything away from J live. I've seen J live live and he's fucking dope. Yeah. He came a little later and I think he probably was inspired by J live and he does it on a, a level that's like, holy shit. Like, so that, like, that's kind of, those are the two people I had in mind. Oh, wow. Cool that you brought up J live, but I've never seen anyone do it with finger drumming. So I, I've got it, gotten it to a point where I can do simple drum patterns and do it but it's still kind of not the year musician. So it's not at the point where I can do it without thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So right now it's like very like, like mechanical. I say, I say right now I haven't done it or tried to do it in over a year because I get bogged down with other things and I, I just haven't made the time for it. But yeah, maybe this will be the thing that sparks interest in that again. Yeah, man. I love it, man. I mean, I would love to see it honestly. And I know you got an engine. It's just a matter of, um, it's just a matter of doing it. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Of waking up and doing it every day until I'm good at it. So what's up, man. Anything else that you would like to to share? Let us know where we can find you on the socials, on the internet and everything, because you do um, have a lot of dope shit out there for people to see. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I'll, I'll just make it easy. Um, Instagram is where I'm most active. I have YouTube and I have all that stuff, that other stuff. You can Google cryptic one and find all of it. But my YouTube, I mean, my Instagram is uh, at Crip, C-R-Y-P underscore Uno, spelled out U-N-O. You can find me at my website, crypticone.net. Uh, so it's really just a store and a place to sign up for my email list where you get all sorts of stuff. That's kind of where my, my production tips are going to be 
heading. Uh, once I, I narrow that down and kind of figure that space out, but it's really just to get updates on all things related to me and my music. And the big things about my list is I try to not just make it about me promoting myself, which everyone does that. Like, Hey, I have a new record coming out. I have this, that, you know, I try and offer some sort of value, whether it's a life tip or a book or just some shit I'm going through that I think might help someone. So yeah, that those are the places to find me. One other thing that I failed to mention earlier, I have not mentioned this anywhere. Uh, so this new beginnings, and we've been talking about my drums. One of the things that I'm doing is I can't do it with all the tracks because some of them from sample packs, but um, I think it's 35 of the tracks on there. I'm releasing just the drum tracks of that as a, a separate release. Uh, it's going to be digital only. And I think it, I'm going to, I haven't figured out exactly how I'm going to do it, but I think it's going to be like a package deal. If you buy the album, you get the drums for X amount. Love that, man. That's awesome. But yeah, people have been yeah. asking for drums for so long and part of me wanted to just curate like a drum pack specifically, like I'm going to make these drums just for this pack. But then I'm like, these drums are already there. People already talk about these drums. I think it'd be really cool to see what people do with them. That's kind of, um, I don't know, it's, it's always like been a thing for me to like search and see where people sample things from. And it's always given me like a, a feeling. So like, I can't imagine like someone sampling from me in some way, shape or form, like how that feeling must be. So we'll hopefully find out, but I'm definitely to people who sign up to my list are going to get some of those 30 something. They're not going to get all of them, but I'll drop a few um, for free. No, that's what's up, man. So everybody listening, crypticone.net. C-R-Y-P-T-I-C-1.net. Sign up because that, that album is going to drop. You're going to have the opportunity to get the drums as we just found out here. It's got the vinyl coming out. Follow Absolutely. on Instagram as well so that you can catch these. The, uh, the cinematic quality of this man's finger drumming videos are, are worthwhile and stay up to date. So follow this man. Crip, thank you so much for being here, man. Your dedication to music, you know, is evidence just by the length of time, you know, and your love for it. And it's just so clear that you care about other people and wanting other people to, to make their own music and their own art. Just wishing you all the best, man, and continued success. Thank you so much for being here. Ah, uh, man. Appreciate everything, man. Thank you for all the kind words and uh, for the interview, man. I, these are questions I don't get asked. So it's always fun to talk about new things. Yeah, man. I appreciate that. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace. That's it for this episode of Producer Head. I appreciate you coming through and being a part of it. My hope is that it helps you unlock a bit more creativity and find progress in a way that matters to you. Before we go, there are three simple and zero cost ways to support the Producer Head podcast. One, tap in and subscribe or follow wherever you're listening, whether it be Spotify or Apple. Two, if you haven't already, drop a review on Apple or Spotify, maybe both if you're feeling it. The feedback is appreciated and helps me continue to do what's working while improving along the way. Three, send this episode to one person who would enjoy it. Do not underestimate the power of word of mouth. The most old school of methods are often the most effective. Finally, let's stay connected. I regularly share ideas that help me develop my creative process, along with music recommendations and even give away free music and sample packs. Head to torubeat.com, T-O-R-U-B-E-A-T.com and sign up to receive all of these things and stay up on all things producer head. 
You can also stay connected with me and the podcast at Torubeat, T-O-R-U-B-E-A-T, on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. The theme music is one of my own songs. It is called Room to Breathe and available now on all streaming platforms. Again, for real, thank you so much for being here with me. And I look forward to catching you in the next episode of Producer Head. This has been Toru. And in a way, so are you. Peace.